Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you have your Bibles, you can go and turn those to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. And if you need to use your table of contents, do that. It's all right. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, and you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Worthless Faith. Worthless faith. And so let me ask a couple questions that we're going to really get to this morning. One, did Jesus really die? Start thinking through that. Did Jesus really die? And the follow-up question, is Jesus really alive? Because this, here's the deal. If the resurrection was not a real event, then your faith is worthless. I didn't say it. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says this. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. So here's the truth. Something happened about 2,000 years ago. You'll watch documentaries trying to explain what happened. Watch History Channel to give you documentary and episode after episode to try to figure out what happened because something happened. That's the truth. They're not going to deny something happened, but the question is what was that's something. You see, throughout Jesus' time, he predicted that he would suffer and die, specifically in Jerusalem. He predicted it, but he taught it to his followers, and it was well known that these were the predictions he was making about himself, that he would have to go to Jerusalem and be persecuted, suffer, and die, but he'd be raised on the third day. And so he regularly taught that, but the disciples did not understand so let me ask you this. Do you ever have a hard time understanding Jesus' teaching? Anybody? You can raise your hand. We can raise our hands in church. Yeah? You would make a great disciple. Look at the disciples. This is encouraging to me. They constantly missed it. Peter, at one point, said, Lord, after he said this, Lord, that will never happen to you. And Jesus' response to Peter, get behind me, Satan. That may do something to you. You know what I'm talking about? Jesus calls you Satan. That may, that may mess you up a little bit. But then he says this, if anyone wants to follow after me, he tells this to the disciples, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Well, what Jesus taught his disciples and those crowds that would follow him would soon come true. You see, on the night that Jesus would be betrayed, he gathered his disciples for a Passover meal. But this Passover meal was different than the disciples ever experienced. You see, he was preparing them that he would be betrayed, and he gave them the new command Church history calls it Monday, Thursday, simply meaning new command or new commandment. And Jesus says this during this Passover meal. He says, as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And so automatically they'd be thinking about how Jesus served and how he healed and how he did all these things and he was very loving, but that statement would come to a fuller meaning within the next 24 hours. During that meal, he would take a piece of bread and when he broke it, he would say, this is my body broken for you. That was new. He took the cup. He said, this is my blood that will be spilt, poured out for you for remission, for the forgiveness of sin for many. That was new. And so from there, he took his disciples out to the Garden of Gethsemane. That's interesting because this was an olive orchard. And the Hebrew word Gethsemane means olive press or 
the place of crushing. So that's where he led his disciples to go and pray. And Jesus prays this. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And this cup was God's judgment about to be poured out on sin, specifically on Jesus. So he said, if it's possible. In other words, it seems like, Father, it would be an awful waste of my blood if there's any other way. I mean, if all roads lead to heaven, or if everyone is inherently good, or if our good intentions are good enough, this seems like a waste. But Jesus knew what was about to happen. Because then he prays, Father, your will be done. Because Jesus knew there was no other way. And that's what Jesus taught through his ministry. I am the way. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the only way. Jesus was God's plan of salvation since the beginning of creation. And that's what we need to understand. This is what... This was not a new thing. This is what God has orchestrated all along, being cultivated in the life and death of Jesus. The Apostle Peter, about six weeks after Jesus' resurrection, had his first recorded sermon in front of a group of Jewish people that were a part of Jesus' crucifixion. But he says this in Acts 2. Peter says, Jesus was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge. That means Jesus' crucifixion was planned. Isaiah 53, verse 10, tells us, Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. Which seems fitting, because where Jesus was praying this prayer was in the place of crushing, the Garden of Gethsemane. So he says, your will be done. And so after he prays, they get up to leave, and here comes Judas the betrayer with a mob of people to arrest Jesus. And this same Peter, favorite apostle, the same Peter who said, Jesus, I will never forsake you, was about to prove it, because Peter was packing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you remember this? He takes out a sword and starts swinging. Cuts off a dude's ear. And what I think is funny is that Peter was not aiming for that guy's ear. You know what I'm talking about? He wasn't trying to just slice off a ear. He was trying to kill that guy. He missed at that. I get a lot of encouragement from Peter. So Jesus says, put back your sword. I guess to hear the frustration, like, stop. Get the point. He says, don't you know that I can cry out to my father right now, 12 legions of angels would come to my rescue. About 72,000 angels. And I don't know what you think about when you think about angels. Most of us think about maybe some chubby little fat baby looking things floating around clouds. Maybe have a harp, especially on a February time frame. The Bible doesn't say that. Every time an angel appears, people are scared, fearful. Even though they say, don't fear, scared, fearful. And so he says, 72,000 would come to my aid at a moment's call. Jesus in complete control. But then he says this right after Put your sword away. Don't you think I call on my father who would send 12 legions of angels? But he says this, the scripture must be fulfilled in this way. The scripture, the Old Testament, will be fulfilled by Jesus' crucifixion. And if you want to see some commentary on the crucifixion in the Bible, read Psalm 22. 
which was written about a thousand years before the event that we're talking about. Or read Isaiah 53, written about 700 years prior to the event we're talking about. That's noteworthy. So Jesus would be betrayed. The crowds would take him. Ultimately, he stands before Pontius Pilate. And, you know, this is one thing I know. That people are crazy. Do you guys know that? People are crazy. They go from Sunday, the previous Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday, of celebrating the conquering king, Jesus, shouting, Hosanna, meaning save us, to the following Friday, condemning Christ as a criminal, saying, save yourself. People are wild. Not much has changed. And so Pilate, caving to the crowd's craving, handed Jesus over to be flogged and crucified. And the Bible doesn't tell much about what it means to be flogged and crucified. We get a little bit of details. Because it was so well known, they didn't have to explain anything. It was such a theft deterrent, intentionally so. It was brutal by every stretch of the imagination. But I think we need to be reminded what flogging was and being crucified was. You see, they'd take this whip to flog someone that was made up of bone, pieces of metal or glass, and whip them, and whip them, and whip them. See, Jewish law allowed for 40 lashes, but they do 39 just in case somebody miscounted. You know, Josh Weatherspoon's counting, let's do 39. Romans don't care about that. We don't know how many times Jesus was whipped, but he was whipped and whipped and whipped. And those brutals, those beatings were so brutal, oftentimes they'd leave the person with their bones and organs revealed because the flesh was being ripped away with every strike. Many would not survive a flogging. Jesus did. And following the flogging, Jesus was forced to carry his cross to a place called Golgotha or Calvary, the place of the skull. And that's where we come to Luke 23. Luke 23, verse 26. It says, As they led him away, being Jesus, they seized Simon, the Cyrenian, who was coming in from the country and laid the cross on him to carry behind Jesus. A large crowd of people followed him, including women who were mourning and lamenting him. This is noteworthy. Note that there was a large crowd following. This was a very public event. So his place of crucifixion was well known, and his place of burial was also well known. Those are noteworthy. Like, don't miss that. But also, as we see, we look at the life of Jesus, but specifically his crucifixion and his resurrection, we see what would be many, many moments that would connect memories. Memories about what Jesus said, and many memories about the words that were said about Jesus that he was fulfilling through this process. And I think one, so this is a little conjecture on my part, but when Simon picked up that cross, I wonder at that point, because everyone that was still following Jesus and his followers were there, connected his words when Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross, deny yourself, and then follow me. And I think it's noteworthy that this part of Scripture says Simon carried it behind Jesus, following Jesus with the cross. And so they got to the point, they laid Jesus down on the cross, and then attached him to the cross. 
with seven to nine inch nails through his hands and through his feet. Isaiah 53 verse 5 tells us that he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him. And then what they did, they raised the cross, lifting Jesus as the cross was raised. And again, I wonder again, Nicodemus had to have been in the crowd, this religious leader that came at night to question Jesus previously. And I wonder if that conversation was ringing in his ears when Jesus told him in John 3. Jesus said, just as Moses was lifted up by the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, referencing himself, must be lifted up. Then he says this, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I just wonder if Nicodemus was like, I get it, as Jesus was lifted up and people were gazing on him, hanging there. And as Jesus was hanging on that cross, the Roman soldiers started casting lots, gambling for Jesus' clothes. Psalm 22, verse 18, tells us, they divided my garments among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. So while Jesus was on that cross, again, what killed people on the cross wasn't the wounds in their hands and their feet. They were suffocating to death. So with every breath they took, they'd have to pull up and press up on those nails to take a breath every time. And from the cross, as all this was going on, they were mocking him, save yourself! They were gambling for his clothes. They were cheering him on. If you said you're the Messiah, get down from the cross. Jesus says this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. You see, Jesus was sent to save anyone who believes by faith and bring forgiveness of sin. But if the resurrection did not happen, your faith is worthless and there is no forgiveness of sin. And so as the crowd mocks, Jesus hung between two criminals. And so the crowd is mocking and there's a criminal who's mocking him. In a mocking voice, the criminal says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Aren't you, did you say all these things? Why don't you do it? Prove it. God, prove you are who you are. Has anybody said that? Prove yourself and I'll believe. Know this, that Jesus was mocked by many then, and he's mocked by many now. And when it comes to Jesus, we will all, everyone, only have one of two choices to make. You can treat Jesus as a mockery, or you can trust Jesus as Messiah. That's it. But then there's this other thief. And as this one thief was mocking Jesus, the other thief on the other side says, don't you even fear God? He says, we are punished just, justly because we are getting back what we deserve for the things that we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's asking Jesus for a favor. He doesn't deserve that. But he's, 
trusting by faith that Jesus is who he said he was. And he's doing what he said he would do. Remember me when you enter your kingdom. Jesus' response, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is grace. Getting something you don't deserve. This is what grace is. That criminal did not deserve that. Well, that criminal deserved was to be on that cross, paying for a sin, and to pay for it for eternity because God is holy, just, and righteous. And that criminal's not. But by his confession of faith, and no works at all, he could do nothing. He says, Remember me, and Jesus says, I will. Grace isn't fair. It reminds me of, you know, my family, we like ice cream. And so at night, we'll have some ice cream usually and watch a movie or something together. And I usually get a pretty big bowl of ice cream, right? I like some ice cream. But based on size, I'm not going to get my little, my little guy as big of a bowl as I eat, which elicits a response, that's not fair, right, For my little guy? That's not fair, Dad. Which I, I'd be right to say, you know what, you're, you're right, buddy. That's not fair. Now, give me your ice cream because I bought the whole thing, right? That, that's fair. That'd be fair. I didn't do that. Take, take it easy. But many will not make this request to Jesus that this criminal made. Remember me. Many will not make this request because we think we're good. That's why I hear all the time, I'm a good person. I do good things. God knows my heart. I'm trying my best I can, if there is a God anyway. So just a second, let's do this little game. Forget about the 613 laws that God has to follow. Forget about the Ten Commandments, right, the Big Ten. Forget about those. Let me ask you this. Have you kept your own laws? How's those New Year's resolutions going? Anybody? Think about the own rules you put in place that you break continually. I remember as a kid, our parents would occasionally get out the swear jar. They want to stop cussing. That lasts about 24 hours and they'd go bankrupt. Wouldn't last. We break our own laws. The point is, you can't keep your laws and you can't keep God's. To show God's goodness of his grace. That's what Jesus did. You could not earn your salvation. You could not work out your salvation. You could not come into a right standing because we're not good enough. The Bible's very inclusive. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But everyone who comes to faith in Jesus will be saved because of what Jesus did. But if there is no resurrection, your faith is worthless. And this promise that he made of eternal life is worthless, is pointless, is meaningless. Jesus was a liar. Again, if there is no resurrection. And while up on that cross, it says he gave up his spirit. Again, it's noteworthy because he's under, this is under his control the entire time. Whether it's in the garden, in front of Pilate, and on the cross, he is letting, allowing these things to happen. It says he gave up his spirit. And he says one word, to Tetelestai which we translate in three words, meaning it is finished. Not I am finished. It's a big difference. 
It is finished. What's finished? The sacrificial system is finished. Sin is finished. Guilt is finished. Condemnation is finished. In religion, it's finished. Religion says do. Jesus says done. It is finished. He has done the work necessary to bring everyone who believes that his payment was enough to satisfy your sin debt. It is finished. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He did not say, I am finished. For two reasons. One, he wasn't finished. And two, he wasn't finished with you. I think proof he's not finished with you is that you're here this morning or you're listening to this message. One, because we're all so growing in our faith. He's not finished with you. But for those who are questioning your faith or questioning this faith in general, think it's nonsense. He's not finished with you either. He's not finished, but if there was no resurrection, your faith is worthless because Jesus was finished. And so are you. And so am I. Because that sin debt still remains. So Jesus gave up his spirit, and then the soldiers came to make sure all these three guys were dead. Because the Sabbath was coming, and the religious leaders said, get them down off the cross. So they go to the criminal number one and break his legs to make sure he'd die quicker. Because again, he couldn't pull himself up to breathe. Broke the other criminal's legs so they can die quicker. And they came to Jesus ready to break his legs, and guess what? They didn't. Because he was dead. And just to make sure, because again, these Roman guards were trained killers. They stabbed him in the side with a spear. To make sure he was dead. The scripture said, blood and water poured out. And I think that's noteworthy. Countless pages have been written about what that means. Briefly, what it means is that, one, he was fully God and fully man. And two, he was dead. This is important. He was dead. Because other religions out there will say that somehow he was stolen away from the cross. He was dead. He died on that cross. And then he was buried by Joseph of Arimathea. See, Joseph goes to Pilate and says, can I go bury Jesus? And what's interesting, again, noteworthy, what Pilate does, he says, hold that thought, talks to the Roman soldiers, go verify that Jesus is dead. This is two times now that Roman soldiers that knew how to kill people, knew dead people, verified that Jesus was dead. After he got word back, he granted Joseph's request to go bury Jesus. So he went and buried Jesus. He wrapped him in linen, buried him in his own tomb, and sealed it with a stone. Again, this tomb's location was well known. And again, what we'll see is that the tomb was well guarded by Roman soldiers. Because here's what the fear was. The religious leader, again, go to Pilate. They, they went to Pilate and said, listen, this man claimed that he would rise on the third day, so watch the tomb, send guards to guard it, because what they're going to do, the disciples are going to go steal his body and claim that he resurrected. And Pilate didn't want that either, because this disturbance that was happening was causing a commotion in his community. And so they sent Roman guards to guard the tomb. So his location was well known. The tomb was well guarded. And just, I think this goes without saying, but I think we need to hear it. The guards would not guard a tomb that was empty. Do we get that? I know, I shouldn't have to say that, but I do. 
They wouldn't guard an empty tomb. Brings us to Luke chapter 24, verse 1. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone was rolled away from the tomb. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. See, these women, group of women, came to the tomb early in the morning because they knew that men had prepared it and they had to make sure it was done right. You know what I'm saying? That, that's why. Conjecture. It's not in the Bible. But what's noteworthy in the gospel accounts is Mary Magdalene is named in the group of women. What we know about Mary is that she had been demon-possessed previously. What we don't know, but it's been speculated, that she was possibly a prostitute. Don't know. But what's noteworthy about these accounts is that women are giving the account of being first on scene. Are given, they were the first ones that witnessed and provided a testimony that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Why does that matter? Because women, the testimony of a woman, was considered unreliable. Unreliable. And so, if someone was telling the truth, it would look like this. If I was lying about something, I would put myself in that position. I would put the most credible testimony of people in that position, but they did not because they were telling the truth about what happened. Women were the first one to reveal or receive that Jesus was raised from the dead. Unreliable testimony. That is noteworthy. But there's questions that we have to answer. What happened to Jesus? What happened exactly? I'll give three theories, possibilities. One, it goes, the disciples did steal the body. And this is interesting. Because that means these disciples, this group of cowering, confused followers of Jesus, somehow transformed into the Chuck Norris of the first century and overcame this group of trained killers that were guarding the tomb. I just go back to Peter. He couldn't take a sucker punch at someone that was unexpecting it, not expecting it, and missed and chopped off his ear. And they, we think that these disciples somehow became trained killers. This ragtag group of guys took, off, took over these trained Roman guards. That's possibility number one. I don't land there in case you're wondering. Possibility number two. Jesus was not actually dead. It's called the swoon theory. The swoon theory. It means he didn't actually die. He was just incapacitated. Three days later, he woke up, removed the stone, walked out. Here, this is what I know. I know after a, a night's sleep, I wake up in the morning, I feel beaten and bruised, I can hardly walk. I'm wondering, what happened to me? My wife says, you slept. But yet Jesus, as the story goes, was, wasn't fully dead. He was just incapacitated, passed out. Well, a few things. One, they, he was verified dead by two sets of Roman guards, as we talked about. Two, the religious leaders asked for his body to be taken down. They were assured he was dead because they knew the claims he had made. And so there's no way this could be, even be possible because the great extent they went through to make sure he was actually dead. So if you believe in number one or number two of these theories, disciple stole his body or he wasn't actually dead, you have more faith than I do. 
I'm going to let you know. That takes more faith than my point number three is Jesus was actually dead and Jesus actually came back to life. Which brings us back to Luke 24, verse 4. It says, while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. It says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, it is necessary that son of man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. And I, as a pastor, get great encouragement from this. Because one, Jesus teaching his disciples some very noteworthy things that I'm going to die, but I'll be resurrected. You would think that would have stuck in some minds. But it didn't. I know you guys hang on every word that comes from the stage. And you talk about it all throughout the week. And you can quote the things we say. I know that. But they forgot. They didn't remember you would have thought the disciples would have been counting down from it is finished to the third day. You would have think they would have been there counting down. But the fact that they were not, again, is proof that this story is true. Because people are people. Like you think if, if this story was made up, the disciples would have been there. All the disciples, because they're great men of faith, right? They're writing the story. They've been great men of faith standing there. They had this account, and they'd be like, one, two, three, roll the stone away, right? Roll the rock away. That's, that's what that would look like. But they weren't there because they were hiding in fear. They didn't understand. They were doubting. It proves the reliability of the account. Instead, what do we see happening? Verse 9. It says, returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women were with them, telling the apostles these things. But these things seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up ran to the tomb. When he stooped in to look at it, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away amazed at what had happened. He went away amazed at what had happened. The rest of the disciples stayed amazed, confused, and fearful until that evening. When that evening they were gathered together in the locked room for fear of the Jews, and Jesus appears. Jesus simply says, peace be with you. When Jesus enters your life, he gives a peace that's beyond understanding. In this time of fearful confusion, he says, peace to you. And of course, Thomas wasn't there. Poor doubting Thomas gets a bad rap. Thomas wasn't there. So when Jesus was standing before them, showing him his hands, his feet, his side, Thomas wasn't there. It's noteworthy that no hallucination ever has happened in this way to a group of people all seeing the same thing, the same account in the same way. It's not possible. That's another, it must have been hallucinating. They were hallucinating. It's ridiculous. But again, they were gathered for fear of the Jews. Thomas wasn't there. So when they told Thomas, we've seen the risen Lord. Thomas doubts. Listen, anybody have that, just that, that friend that just does weird things? Like makes everything weird, says some weird things. Like we're really going to invite Tommy because he's just going to be weird and 
make things awkward? That was Thomas. Like his response is strange. He says this. When they said, we've seen the risen Lord, he says, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails, put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A couple things. Never's a long time. And God moves in his own timing. I don't know if you guys realize that. God works in his own timing. So instead of God coming and Jesus re- re- revealing himself right then and right there as his words were coming out of his mouth, it says a week later as they were gathered together. A week later, Jesus comes in and says, you want to get weird? Let's get weird. No, he didn't say that. But what he does say, he says this. He says, Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand and put it into my side. He says, don't be faithless, but believe. So let me ask you, are you wondering about this whole faith thing? Thomas was too. But here's what Jesus says in Revelation 3.20. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock, and anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The answer is always yes for everyone who turns in faith to Christ. Always. He says, don't be faithless, but believe. And in Thomas' response, my Lord and my God. Then he says this. Jesus says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. Many of us are more like Thomas than we like to admit. Many of us have said, I will never believe. Never is a long time. Jesus' answer is always yes to anyone that turns in faith for the forgiveness of sins to Christ Jesus alone. Always yes. And this type of faith is not worthless. Jesus was alive. He was resurrected. And at the time of his resurrection, he didn't automatically just ascend back into heaven. He walked around the town for another 40 days, eating with, teaching, spending time with, Many people, at one point, appear into a crowd of more than 500 people at once in the area where he was crucified. There's a lot of proof there. Because again, these, these witnesses and accounts would have been very quickly diminished and extinguished if it weren't true by the surrounding culture and people. But they weren't because they were true. And I think one of the most convincing truths are the disciples themselves. These disciples went from being confused to convinced, to being fearful, to being fearless. Why? Because they witnessed the resurrected Jesus. And that changes everything. Jesus would then tell them, go and be my witness in all Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And guess what? They did. Risking their lives, risking comfort, Risking persecution in prison. And what they would end up happen is that they would end up giving their lives. And I don't know about you, but what I would not give up my life for a lie. Would not. No one would. No one would go that far if they knew something was fake. Guess what they did? All 12 of the disciples were persecuted, beaten, 11 of them were killed, including the late round draft pick, Matthias. All of them were killed. 
because of their faith, with the exception of John. And they tried. They persecuted him. But he did not die a martyr's death because God wasn't done with him yet. God took him to the island of Patmos and revealed his presence in the end time through revelation. Wasn't done with him yet. But again, I wouldn't die for a lie. Neither would they have. But they died because it was true. They'd seen the resurrected Jesus. Which brings us back to where we started. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, And if Christ is not raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. But he continues in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20. He says, But, it's important, But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through one man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Because Jesus is alive, your faith isn't worthless. It is priceless. And because Jesus is alive, we know that God declared you priceless because he's done everything it takes for you to have that relationship restored with him. Faith isn't worthless, it's priceless. So again, Peter, after he saw the resurrected Jesus, then stands before a crowd of thousands of Jews. And he tells them, you killed the Messiah. You killed Christ. And it's noteworthy that this happened in Jerusalem, where Christ was crucified where he was buried, and where there now is an empty tomb. So as he's telling the crowd this, the crowd responds, what are we to do? What are we to do? Because he's saying, you have sinned, you're stuck in it, you killed the Christ. The crowd goes, what are we to do? And Peter says this, repent and be baptized. Each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent means faith and repentance. They're one thing. At the moment you believe, you also see the goodness of God and the severity of sin. And it drives us by faith to repent, meaning I'm turning away from those things that, that sent you to the cross because I'm now following you. Forgive me. And you know that you are forgiven because of Jesus was resurrected. He paid for your sin. It is finished. To tell us that means paid in full. And the resurrection says, payment accepted. He says, repent and believe and be baptized. And what happens next? The biblical account over and over. Faith and then baptism. This specifically, 3,000 people came and were baptized because they believed. And they were following Jesus in obedience and being baptized. This is what we do as followers. We believe and we follow. This is not a Sunday morning Easter religion. This is an every moment of your every day of your life devoted to following Christ. This is what surrendering to Jesus as Lord looks like. And so what about you this morning? What is God working in your life right now? 
on this resurrected Sunday, many of us are resurrecting new life because of our faith in Christ, because he was resurrected. But what about you? Have you trusted Jesus for new life that he gives? For that relationship restored? For the peace that passes understanding? Have you trusted Jesus and surrendered him as Lord and your Savior? Knowing that you have this sin debt that you cannot pay, but Jesus paid it. And by faith, it's applied, payment accepted for you. Do you believe that Jesus died so that you can live? We're going to invite you to respond. And respond by faith. I'm going to invite the band back up and we're going to worship and we're going to close and we're going to respond. But I'm going to ask you and invite you to respond what God's doing. Listen, I, I can do my best to try and persuade you that this is true and that you should believe, but it's only the Holy Spirit that's going to guide you to actually be convinced and believe. So if you're feeling that tug in your heart, be obedient and respond. And secondly, you want to get really crazy. It says, Repent and be baptized. This is also Baptism Sunday. I couldn't think of a better Sunday to have baptisms because it's a symbolism of new life in Christ Jesus because Christ Jesus was resurrected to that new life. So what about you? Have you been baptized since you've been a believer? If no, what's holding you back? Today. Listen, you you can make excuses. I don't have a change of clothes. We've got Easter plans. We've got lunch coming. That's all right. We got you. We got a change of clothes. We got all the things you need. We got towels. We got everything. We got you covered. What excuses do you have? Is this your day to believe? And is today today to be baptized? What excuse are you making from believing and being baptized? I will never believe. Thomas said it too. But Jesus said, blessed are those who haven't seen yet believe. Do you believe it? It's time to start following and trusting him because you won't experience anything like it in life. So if you're feeling God leading to respond by faith and respond by baptism, we're going to have a prayer team over here. Come pray with us. Let's pray for you. Let's encourage you. Let's walk alongside you in those next steps and get you ready to publicly be baptized and following Jesus, pronouncing to everyone that I am new because of my faith in Christ. He was raised, and so am I. I'm ready to walk in the newness of life and following Jesus in obedience. You do that, we'll be to the side. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing one last worship song, but you respond as God leads. Maybe for you, you just need to sit there and pray. Maybe just jumping up and singing your lips off because Christ deserves it. Maybe it's responding by faith and being baptized. We'll be over here to the side. Come see us. Let's pray for you. Let's walk alongside you in those next exciting, life-changing steps. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in this place, Lord. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the new life that you've given us. We thank you for the resurrection, that our faith is not worthless, it's priceless. And you have deemed us priceless in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. We thank you for your goodness and your amazing grace. Even though we didn't deserve it, you paid the price for our sin. Lord, lead us as we respond to the Holy Spirit and the prompting and tugging in our hearts at this moment. Get rid of any excuses, any doubts, any fears, and let faith be the response. Father, we pray this in the most precious, amazing, 
holy, highest name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.